Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Haug, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode. For today's chat, I had the opportunity to speak with an incredible mom by the name of Allie Damron. She's a wife, a mom to two little boys, a licensed acupuncturist, and a personal trainer. Over the past eight years, Allie has ran a very successful private practice as an acupuncturist. And then three years ago, she took her message online to be able to reach more people. She specializes in women's health, including hormonal health, mindset, anxiety, and sleep. And today's conversation really is all about sleep and hormones. So we talk about the most common reasons why women are having so much trouble going to sleep and staying asleep. We talk about strategies to improve your sleep, a good nighttime routine, different supplements that you can use to help support both your sleep and your hormones. We dive into shift workers and how you can deal with that challenging work schedule. We talk about exercise, caffeine, postpartum strategies for sleep, and really a really raw, honest, open conversation about mommyhood. So after all the science and research and technical stuff, we really have a heart-to-heart talking all about the struggles of new moms. So for anybody who's maybe becoming a new mom or who can relate to that, you're going to really enjoy that part of today's conversation. So without further ado, my conversation with Ali Damron, let's get into it. First, I just want to welcome you to the podcast and I really want to know your story. So let's just start there. All right, awesome. So... I got into the wellness industry about 15 years ago, and I kind of started as a personal trainer. I started liking to work out more then and just being interested in that stuff. And so um, I decided that I wanted to be a personal trainer in college and see where that took me. And so I studied and got my certification and all that stuff. And then through the next several years, I did several different types of jobs. So I did the typical gym membership. Um, or gym personal training. I did um, a weight loss camp in San Diego for two summers. I also did corporate wellness. And kind of through that experience, I realized that people needed more tools than just exercise and a little bit of nutrition to kind of get them to feel their best. I noticed there was like, you know, blood pressure issues and fatigue. And um, I also noticed there was like mindset issues into like what's actually preventing you from eating healthy and exercising regularly and all these different things. And at the same time, I simultaneously also had some family members going through fairly severe, um, serious health issues too. And just through all these different experiences, it kind of got me thinking about you know, like preventing disease and the way we were treating disease. And I kind of just, I remember at a young age just being like, you know, 
I would think that there has to be something better than this. Like there has to be a way to prevent some of these things. There has to be a way to treat some of these things better. Um, and I knew that no doctors were really talking about nutrition at the time with my family members at least and things like that. Um, and so kind of started to have that, those questions in my head. And then I also in college, I went to Arizona state and, um, kind of got hooked up with people who knew more holistic health. And I grew up in Western Nebraska where that just did not exist. I was never exposed to it. It just didn't happen. And so, um, kind of opened my eyes to like a chiropractic and acupuncture and just, you know, organic food and very basic things at the time. But um, opened my eyes to that there was other possibilities out there that could possibly be helpful. And so through that, I just kind of started experimenting with myself and like trying some of these different things and I'm exposing myself to different things. I also uh, got my yoga certification. um, So that helped too. And um, kind of one thing just led to the next. And I finally decided that I really loved my acupuncturist and she was one of the healthiest people that I ever knew in my life. And so I thought she might be onto something and I went to school for it. And so that kind of led me into acupuncture school. And then um, from there, I had two babies. And so that kind of led me into more like women's health care and things like that. And for the last, uh, my oldest is six and a half. So for the last about six and a half years, I've really focused solely on women's health and hormones and postpartum and their mindset and anxiety and body image and all of those different issues that plague women. And so here we are. Incredible. And I feel like to the those sorts of situations, they are presented for a reason. Like I feel like yeah. all of those things happening, obviously that would mm-hmm. be challenging with your family, but it mm-hmm. sounds like that sent you down the path of your purpose and where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. It is. And, you know, there's been a lot of hardships along the way into determining these types of things. My postpartum journey wasn't the easiest either. Um, but now that I'm kind of past a lot of those things, I really have been. It's been a really big blessing. I've looked at the last, you know, 15 years of my life and really have seen the gifts that were presented in those challenges. Um, even I didn't see them for a really long time, but I see them now and I see how they're really manifesting themselves in my life and like you said being able to make me live my purpose and having had those experiences I think makes me a better practitioner and um just know kind of what other women are going through and so yeah there has been a lot of bumps in the road but uh grateful for all of them actually Mm, amazing amazing so today I really wanted to dive into sleep and hormones Looking, yeah. yeah, looking through your website, it looks like those seem to be your two areas of expertise. So first, yeah. when it comes to sleep, what mm-hmm. are the most common reasons why people are having so much trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep? So this is kind of an interesting question. And one, I think that a lot of people come to me and ask and they want like the answer of, you know, low progesterone or high cortisol. They want like the hormones answer. And to be honest with you, I just came out with a sleep guide um, that talks about this. And one of the biggest things in my own life and that I'm seeing with patients right now is actually our lifestyle surrounding sleep. So I think a lot of us kind of expect to run really busy, chaotic lives throughout the day and then Um, you know, kind of carried into the evening and you're putting kids to bed or you're doing chores or you're still working late or you're binge watching Netflix or whatever. And then just expect to kind of crawl into bed, fall asleep and sleep for eight hours. 
And um, the way that our circadian rhythm works is that we produce different hormones throughout the day at different levels. So during the day, we want like cortisol really high. We want to be productive and prepared and energetic and all those things. And then as the day kind of comes to an end, your body starts to produce more melatonin, which is supposed to get you to bed and sleep soundly. But the problem is that when we A, don't wind ourselves down from the day and B, when we're still staring at blue light all night, that actually just hinders your whole production of melatonin. So your body still thinks that it's daylight. Your eyes are detecting light and thinks, okay, we're still good. We're, we still need to keep going today. Um, so go ahead and halt that production of melatonin. And so then when you go to bed, you're laying there looking at the ceiling because you just don't have enough melatonin produced from the way that you did kind of your bedtime routine. So as a very simple explanation and way to start this, I highly recommend doing two things for better night's sleep. One would be to do like a good bedtime routine. So 30 minutes before bedtime, just wind yourself down, like do whatever feels good to you. I recently read a book by Trent Shelton called um, Your Greatest Self, and he talks about this this concept called protecting your peace, and he talks about it at night and in the morning, um, and it kind of goes into this too, like do something that is really caring and nurturing for yourself, so it can be anything from like drinking a cup of tea to journaling to, you know, stretching to doing a facial uh, care routine or skincare routine, taking a bath can be whatever you want it to be as long as it's not looking at blue light. And then the second thing kind of goes into that, meaning at least 30 minutes, ideally like 60 to 90, put away your computers and your laptops and your tablets and all of that so that your brain can actually detect the darkness um, and realize that it is time for bed and to produce the right hormones at the right time for you. I always find it so interesting because with our children, we reinforce mm-hmm. this incredible sleep <laughs> routine. We do the bath and the story and the ba 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 ba. And somewhere along the line, we forget. And we know, like, I'm a mom too, so I totally get it. It's like okay. if we don't yeah. do. If we don't do that routine, our night isn't going to be smooth. So anything that's right. going to put like a wrench into that particular routine, it's it's a challenge to put your child to bed when you're doing those things. So mm-hmm. I totally can see how as adults, those things are so important. Just somewhere down the line, we kind of forgot how much that routine can influence our mood and um all those other things like we like I don't know if your kids are like this but I know um I have one boy and I'm also pregnant right now with my uh with a boy as well so honestly thank you he's a totally different kid when he doesn't get good sleep or when he's out of that routine so what are some of the things that happen when we aren't getting high quality sleep yeah, so it's interesting. Um, a lot of things happen. If and let me back up just a little bit. So there's been research that shows um, sleeping between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. are kind of our money sleep. So we get lower levels of cortisol, we get higher levels of that melatonin, we get more human growth hormone, which is um, the hormone that's anti-aging. It makes uh, fat burning happen faster. It makes muscle building happen faster. It um, helps like our egg quality for fertility, helps our skin, it helps, you know, just do so many miraculous things. Um, And so there's research that shows if you sleep from 10 to 2, that you actually get more bang for your buck in terms of sleep than someone even who like sleeps from like midnight to 8 a.m. And so I also recommend that um, because that can do such great things for us hormonally. 
So if you're not getting good night's sleeps, um, a lot of things happen. So A, obviously fatigue is a huge part of it. We're just tired during the day. We don't have that oomph, um, which I think moves over into mood. We feel just a little bit more irritable and edgy kind of. Um, anxiety can also be really high for people who don't get as much sleep. And then from there, it can start to do other things like make uh, your fight or flight response or your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, can make that um, increased, which can then contribute to like inflammation. It also can contribute to a higher um, insulin resistance. So insulin is related to blood sugar and we want to be very sensitive to insulin. Um, and for people who don't get enough sleep, there's research that shows that we're a little bit more resistant to that. It also can, um, if you've ever noticed, like when you don't get a good night's sleep, your body's looking for quick energy. And so you crave more like sugar and carbs, like simple carbs and things like that. Um, and you can also become, uh, there could be differences in your body with like leptin and ghrelin. So ghrelin is your hunger hormone. It makes you super hungry. And that is actually increased when you don't sleep as much. So um, that's why there's a lot of research also that shows that lack of sleep is tied into obesity from some of these different chemical changes in the body. So I think those are big ones. Like if you work out a lot, recovery is not going to happen as much. Um, your body, when we sleep, it likes to detox. It likes to do this deep cleaning process that we have, um, because we're supposed to be sleeping and it's got other things to do when we're awake. And so things like autophagy, which is basically killing like free radicals and getting all the toxins and um, stuff out of our system that happens when we sleep. So there's a lot of different things that go on while we're supposed to be sleeping. Our body is so smart. Um, and if you're not sleeping, then some of these things aren't getting done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That uh, there's so much um, wonderful information from what you just shared there, Allie. Now, what about the impact on hormones? Yeah. So when we talk about hormonal health, the master hormones that I like to talk about are cortisol, insulin, and adrenaline. Um, and so what those three are doing, then we kind of get into like what estrogen, testosterone, DHEA, progesterone, those kind of follow suit with what the other three are doing. So if we're not sleeping, cortisol is going to be increased um, because it thinks that, you know, we're in danger or we need to be awake more and we're probably maybe a little bit more type A and being productive and things like that. And so your cortisol levels will start to increase. When your cortisol levels increase, there's um, a precursor hormone called pregnenolone. And pregnenolone basically can go to either sex hormones like DHEA or progesterone or it can go into cortisol. And so when cortisol is being more demanding, it's gonna go into cortisol and leave some of your other like sex hormones low. So a common pattern in women that we see is high cortisol paired with like low progesterone. Um, and you might hear, we hear a lot about progesterone when we're pregnant because that's a baby hormone too, but it also is important for women in how they feel in the second half of their menstrual cycle. So in a menstrual cycle, your estrogen levels are high in the first half and then you ovulate and then progesterone takes over. So if you've ever knows, noticed with a menstrual cycle, most women feel, or a lot of women I should say, feel PMS-y, we feel like maybe sleep's a little bit more restless, we feel a little bit more irritable, edgy, anxious, we might have a little bit of spotting um, during that time, we feel um, sometimes our periods can be irregular, things like that. That has a lot to do with progesterone. 
not kind of doing its job in that time frame from generally stress, to be honest. So those are some different ways I think that lack of sleep really impairs women and like their menstrual cycle and things like that. Kind of like I was talking about earlier, we also can relate it back to insulin. Um, And so the point of insulin is to, when you eat sugar or carbohydrates, it takes that extra um, energy that we don't need for the moment being and stores it for us. And so the more that we have insulin going through our system, it becomes resistant to doing its job. And so we have to keep producing more and more, which is why then you start to see things like type 2 diabetes or high blood sugar, things like that, because your insulin is just not quite as sensitive. Um, and there's research that shows lack of sleep can can induce that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to noticing symptoms or seeing that maybe hormones are out mm-hmm. of whack, what are the common symptoms that either people come to your practice for or that you hear women complaining about when they think maybe their hormones aren't where they should be? Yeah, so this is pretty widespread, but um, there's a lot of them. So one of the things is mood. If you're feeling a lot more anxious, a lot more um, kind of hypervigilant, you're feeling a lot more overwhelmed, things like that in life, that can be a sign of it. Sleep, if you're waking up from the hours of like 1 to 3 a.m., um, that can be a big sign of hormonal imbalance. And generally, we notice that happening kind of in the second half of your cycle, like I said. We notice some Sometimes digestive health can be different. We also notice, obviously, like PMS. We notice irregular periods. We notice irregular ovulation. Um, maybe not having quite as much as much cervical mucus. We notice appetite and cravings can be different. You might have a stronger appetite. You might be craving a lot more sugar for quick energy. We notice hot flashes, night sweats, things like that. We notice fatigue a lot. I would say in terms of hormonal health, um, for women who have a menstrual cycle, your menstrual cycle is such a great detective tool. So a normal menstrual cycle is a good, you know, it ranges um, between about 26 to 32 days, I think is fairly normal and, and okay. But we don't want tons of cramps. We don't want tons of clots. We don't want tons of irritability and pain and all of those things. And so if you start to have those things, um, that's a definite sign that hormones are off. Mm-hmm. What about supplementation or herbal remedies mm-hmm. or things that you typically recommend that may be able to help support sleep and hormones? Yeah, so I do supplements a lot for women. Um, and one of the things that I do for hormonal health is I think supplements can help a ton. But I also think that like we have been talking about, like lifestyle factors matter a ton. So I work with women a lot first on like mindset and lifestyle factors to like get them to sleep and um, the reasons they're not getting to sleep on time, things like that first. So that's like the most important part in my own opinion. But in terms of supplements, um, I really like supporting the adrenal glands. So I like to use things like ashwagandha, rhodiola, schisandra. I like to use like medicinal mushrooms. All of these types of herbs are called adaptogens and they basically help you create like a better resilience to stress. 
also, if your body was going to start feeling the effects of stress um, physically, like at one level, it would kind of raise it to the next level to where you could handle a little bit more stress, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, whatever the stress may be, you can just handle a little bit more without it wreaking havoc on your body. I also like, depending on the pattern, I like to use Chinese herbs sometimes for like hot flashes and night sweats as a great formula for that. But in Chinese medicine, it's a little different than Western medicine or what we're kind of exposed to in our Western culture. You have to get the diagnostic pattern right for Chinese herbs to work. So like, for instance, if there's a a woman that comes to me with hot flashes, there might be several different reasons she's having hot flashes. Um, And it might be, you know, low estrogen. It might be high cortisol. Um, and there's a couple other, we diagnose way differently in Chinese medicine. So without going into a whole Chinese medicine lesson, we do definitely diagnose differently. And so I like to use Chinese herbs for that. In terms of like low progesterone, I like to use Vitex a lot or Chastree Berry. They're the same thing. And it really encourages an increase of progesterone and a regulation of estrogen, which is always good. In terms of like PMS or premenstrual headaches, bloating, really heavy, crampy, clotty periods. Um, I use DIM, D-I-M, or like calcium D-glucarate is another great one. And these basically help you to filter hormones through your liver a little bit quicker so they don't get stagnant and stuck in there, um, creating those types of symptoms. So I would say of all the different herbs out there, those are kind of the big classes that I kind of pick from. And um, it's always very very individualized based on the person's pattern. Mm -hmm. Who would be the best to go see in relation to these kind of issues in terms of like a background? Like what should people be looking for from a healthcare provider? Yeah. So I'm a fan of using naturopathic doctors. Um, I think they're very well versed in um, like Western physiology and also using some Eastern medicine and also using like herbs and supplements and nutrition. Um, I think that they're very holistic in their approach, which I think is helpful. I also, I'm an acupuncturist, so I think acupuncturists are great. Um, You want to make sure, kind of like with everything, you want to go to an acupuncturist um, and even naturopathic doctor, to be honest, that specializes in what you're looking for. So there are specialties even in these alternative medicine practitioner um, or practitioners. And so you want to make sure, like, if you're going for hormones, you want to make sure that that person knows women's health care and hormones and those types of things. Um, and if you find one that does, which uh, women's health and acupuncture is a really big specialty, so that you'll probably be able to find one in your town. But that can be really helpful in getting a very holistic, well-rounded treatment too of, like I said, mindset stuff, nutrition, exercise, herbs and supplements, sleep recommendations, all those different types of things. Because as we're learning, they all really tie together in a big way. Now, what about lifestyle factors and nutrition factors that are going to help support your sleep? Are there certain foods you would recommend people consume, others that you would suggest that they avoid altogether? Are there going to be certain foods that are going to keep you up throughout the night? Can you give some recommendations on that, Allie? Yeah, sure. So, okay, nutrition. I'm a big fan of just really keeping nutrition simple, like picking um, whole foods, so lean proteins, healthy fats, fruits and veggies, 
um, some whole grains occasionally, things like that. I do think I have seen a lot of nutrition issues with sleep actually are correlated to sleep. And if you're eating like too low carb, that can definitely contribute to poor sleep. So for people who are like carb cycling or just doing keto or low carb, really dial in to see um, how you're sleeping based on how many carbs you eat, that can be a huge factor. The other thing is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, too many carbs, too high of insulin, too much blood sugar in your body, um, that can also impair sleep. So that's why I really just like to keep it simple. Like have a protein with every meal, make sure you're eating vegetables and greens with most of your meals also. Um, carbs, you know, get them in the wholest grain form that they can come in, such as like quinoa, white rice, bulgur, some really good whole grains, like those things are all fine. Um, obviously, some of like the really high sugary foods and high processed trans fats, those things are going to make your body work really hard to digest them. And so that can impair sleep if you especially if you eat them too late at night. So like for dinner, suggest um, kind of stopping your eating, you know, maybe two hours before you go to bed at night. And then um, making sure you're eating a really high protein dinner that can help fuel your blood sugar throughout the rest of the night so that you're not waking up from like 1 to 3 a.m. So that's typically what I recommend for nutrition. A good checklist that I give all my patients is to check these five things in terms of how you're eating and correlate them to sleep. So one would be um, sleep. The second is hunger. The third is energy. The fourth is cravings. And the fifth is mood. So you want to make sure all five of those things are in check. And if they are, um, that's a really good indicator that your metabolism, your thyroid, your um, sex hormones, all of those things are in check and doing well. If something's off, you're starting to, you know, you started a new program or, or diet and you start to feel kind of irritable, you start to notice your sleep's getting kind of restless. Those are all indicators that you should check in with your nutrition to see, you know, are you eating enough carbs? Are you eating too many carbs? Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough calories in general? Um, all of those different things. Mm-hmm. What about exercise? Is there a certain cutoff time that you recommend that people don't exercise before they are trying to go to bed? I find that generally what I hear from the people that I work with is people that train at night have a harder time. They have all of this adrenaline after doing a great mm-hmm. workout and they really struggle to then wind down afterwards. So is there a certain cutoff of time that you recommend in relation to that, Ellie? So I think, I mean, I think it's individualized. To be to be honest, yes, physiologically, your body produces cortisol uh, when you exercise And so that can be a hindrance to sleep. It can help you to not produce as much melatonin as you want. So yes, that would be definitely a recommendation of maybe cutting exercise off. Like it's kind of different for every person, honestly, like two to four hours probably before bed. But to be honest, my husband actually exercises at night before bed. And I have heard of several people who do that and they just like pass out at night after they work out. They're so tired from it. Um, And so I think that's a really individual preference for you. But if you do notice that, then um, chances are you're pretty sensitive to it. And I would definitely cut it off about four hours earlier. Excellent. What about caffeine? Yeah. Yes. So caffeine um, has a half-life of about eight hours. And so I generally recommend, or I talk about this a lot, actually, on my own platforms. I talk about um, responsible caffeinating. And basically that means 
you want to have like you can have a cup of coffee like in the morning that's or caffeine that's totally fine because your natural like cortisol how we're talking about this rhythm your natural circadian rhythm has cortisol peaking at that time you're supposed to be kind of amped up and ready for the day um and so i think if you drink a cup of caffeine then it's totally fine your body will start to like i said earlier kind of wind itself down throughout the day and so if you're feeling like that afternoon energy crash where most people grab a latte from like two to four Look at your lunch. Make sure that you're eating enough protein and enough carbs. It's balanced. You're getting enough food, all of those types of things. Um, and then check your adrenal glands because that's a really prime symptom of like adrenal fatigue stuff. And so I would support yourself with some B vitamins, some adaptogenic herbs, things like that, and not reach for caffeine because then you're just kind of jolting your body back up there and you could have a harder time getting to sleep, which will like further exacerbate the cycle. So I know it's hard for a lot of people to break that off. So sometimes I, if it's really difficult and you're having like caffeine withdrawal, I'll recommend, you know, something a little bit less caffeine, like some green tea or, um, that's generally actually what I recommend is like green tea or herbal teas that have caffeine, but they just don't have quite as many as like, um, a cup of coffee or a Red Bull or something like that and just kind of wean yourself back. But yeah, chances are if you're reaching for caffeine all day, you probably have adrenal fatigue already or some adrenal issues that you can treat, you know, with all the things we're talking about, supplements and herbs and better sleep quality and things like that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. What about shift workers? Any recommendations or tips yeah, for that? Yeah. So shift workers, that's an interesting topic. That's that's actually really a hard one for a lot of people. Um, our bodies are definitely created to work in like the daylight kind of cycle and sleep at night. Um, if you're a shift worker, you know, I don't generally recommend melatonin because um, – our bodies can kind of downregulate our own and then rely on melatonin. But I have seen shift workers do well on melatonin and um, use it when they have to go to sleep. Um, I would try to get the amount of sleep that you still need in a day, um, you know, during the day if you're a shift worker at night. Um, I would take B vitamins and support that. I would take um, adaptogenic herbs to support your adrenal glands. Um, and that's kind of my recommendations for that. Shift workers are tough. It's a tough life for sure. Mm-hmm. What about postpartum mamas when we're struggling mm-hmm. with sleep? And, oh, it's a, it's, it's a yes. tough period. It is a tough period. And um, I briefly went into, you know, having kids earlier. But yes, uh, my kids did not sleep through the night, either one of them, until well after a year. And so I can remember being in that phase and having adrenal fatigue and feeling all these different symptoms. I was kind of a wreck. And, um, you know, everyone was like, oh, you need to sleep and, and, you know, had all those recommendations. And it got kind of frustrating, to be honest, to hear that because you're like, well, this isn't my my thing. Like, my baby's keeping me up. And so for postpartum mamas whose babies aren't sleeping through the night yet, um, do everything else that you can to support your body. So eat, you know, whole food nutrition. Try to eat as many um, vegetables, try to eat as much protein, try to fuel your body that way and support it. Try to sleep when your baby sleeps. Obviously that's always a recommendation and we all know there's other things to do when the baby sleeps too. Um, but honestly, one of my best things that I say to postpartum moms is to truly manage your expectations. Like this is in general, kind of a short period of time that this actually happens, even though it feels like forever. 
Um, it felt like forever for me. And now that I have a six and a half year old and a three and a half year old, it feels like it was a while ago. And so my best advice is to truly like enlist help for things like dishes and laundry and cooking and things like that. Um, sleep when your baby sleeps and just try to squeeze as much as you can in there and also realize that it won't last forever and you will be able to regain your health, redo your sleep patterns and feel better eventually. I promise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, does your son start school this year? Yep. My oldest is actually going into first grade now. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest is still in preschool. Oh, yep. Okay. I just wasn't sure how the school system worked in the States. So I have a three and a half year old as well, but he has a December birthday. So he'll start school in September. I wasn't sure. Is it normally like between three and four in the States when kids start school? Um, so for kindergarten, like for, for public or private school, generally they start um, around five. Um, but you can do like preschool or daycare or something like that earlier. So my son is three and a half. He has a November birthday. So he actually won't be going to to kindergarten, kindergarten until, um, for two more years. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I wasn't, wasn't sure how that, uh, if that was the same or not. Now you mentioned that your postpartum periods were challenging. Do you want to talk more about what made them so challenging for you? Yeah, sure. Um, so when I had my first son, I had no friends that had ever had babies, had no idea what to expect. And I just kind of went blindly, naively into it and was kind of shocked, to be honest, when he was born at like breastfeeding and how little sleep you got and the amount of responsibility with a baby, which sounds super naive, I understand, but I was really young and just didn't really realize, I guess, how much that would take out of me. And you know, the sleepless nights really did take a toll. I was also trying to start a business, which is where I say, like, manage the expectations because I didn't. I just kind of thought, well, actually both times that, you know, having a baby would like fit into my life nicely somehow. And I'd be able to pursue these other things, which is not entirely untrue. But when you're really type A about it and expect yourself to get an unmanageable amount of work done in the day, it creates a lot of anxiety. And it creates a lot of pressure on yourself and a lot of perfectionism and things like that, which is something that I really struggled with with both my kids. And I think paired with the lack of sleep, especially with my second, I didn't really have any help either. And so um, that's why I always say enlist help, like figure out a postpartum plan with your partner of who is supposed to do these things, who's getting up with the kids, um, all those details so that you're not in the middle of it and really emotional and then start, you know, yelling at your husband or something. So I think that my expectations of it were sorely mistaken, to be honest. And I think if I just would have realized that, you know, this is my postpartum period, I'm taking these three months even off from starting the business, from running my business and just kind of focus on this baby, my life would have been so much more enjoyable. But instead, I was like starting a business with my first. And then by the time I got to my second, I um, had had a business running, but I was still doing inpatient care, which I still am doing that, but I didn't have the online piece going yet, really. And so it was still, you know, going in and treating patients, and that's how I got paid. And so I felt like I had worked really hard over the last three years to build this business, and that I had patients coming in my door, and I couldn't afford to leave for three months and just hope that they would be there when they when I got back because I knew the reality of that. 
Um, and so I went back to work part-time, really part-time. Um, but I still went back to work at 10 days postpartum and, you know, would bring him with me. And I had a receptionist that would help like hold him and, and do all the things. And I learned a lot again through that experience, how we we're kind of talking about that earlier, but I would never, ever suggest a mom do that. It was just a lot of, of toll on me. It was a lot of toll on the baby. Um, and I needed to be still in bed with my baby at 10 days postpartum. And so I think, you know, kind of just those things and just putting too much on my own plate when I knew I was going to be having a baby in postpartum was really my issue, which is why I also think a lot of other women do that and have, um, I think that's a huge reason that postpartum anxiety is so high. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference between the U.S. and Canada as well, eh? You guys only have, well, it, I'm not sure if it's different. We here, if you're self-employed, you can pay into unemployment insurance and you can still take a maternity leave if you so choose. Now, in the service industry, obviously, that's challenging, which I can totally relate to. But if you are in another industry, like not self-employed, you can take up to um, 18 months after you have babe and you'll collect um, unemployment insurance throughout that uh, throughout that period of time. So I'm sure that that has a mega impact um, on Canadian moms versus um, moms from the States. It would actually be really interesting to look at that data to figure out like, is postpartum depression and anxiety, um, is there a difference? Is it higher in the US than it is in Canada based on that fact? Because that is amazing that you guys do that. Yeah, well, I just, I think for a lot of us here, there would be some disbelief in that, like only three months and then going, like going back, I'm just thinking back to like the milestones of three months. I feel like your babe is just literally just, just starting, right? Like that's when they start starting. Yeah. Yeah. That first year is so remarkable. Now in terms of being self-employed, would it ever be an option for you to move your practice to only doing online or do you envision that you like the balance of the in-person and the online practice? Yeah. You know, that's a super interesting question. Um, it's, it's really weird for me right now because yes, there is a huge possibility of doing that. Um, But like I said, I have worked with my heart and soul for like eight years now to do this acupuncture practice. And my dream was always to have a wellness practice and, you know, treat patients and do all of that on a one-on-one level. Um, And so it's really kind of bittersweet to me to say like my impact obviously is much larger online um, and I can do a lot more with that, I think, but I do still have this like really strong passion and I love my patients in my office. They're wonderful. And I love kind of that one-on-one patient care too. So at this point in time, I've moved back to just doing it two days a week for, you know, maybe like 15 hours a week or something like that. Um, so it's, it's not very many hours anymore. Um, but we'll have to see kind of just where things go. I have a lot of ambitions for my online business. I'd like to write books. I'd like to have speaking engagements, those types of things too. Um, and so it might get to a point where my schedule just doesn't really allow me to have that any longer. It's almost like you, you get to a place of maybe not being able to do it all. And I don't want to say not being able to do it all while being a mom, but being a mom in itself is a big undertaking, right? Like I think we can can kind of think, oh, I, I can do it all and I can have this massively successful business. And I think we can, 
but at what cost in relation to our children as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel as though sometimes Mm -hmm. if we chase our dreams too far and we're never home, then we're missing out on those special moments with our kids too. So I always struggle with I always struggle with that too. It's like, I want to dream big, but at the same time, I'm like, ah, but I don't really want to be away all the time, you know? So I know, totally. I think the same thing. And I think over the last six and a half years, like I have gone back to the drawing board a hundred times, literally, like so many times to figure out like what would be the best fit for all of us, my husband, my kids, my dreams, my business, financially, um, all of those different things. And I think I've learned throughout having kids that every season with them is really different, kind of like a business. Every season in a business is different, you know, different things demand different parts out of you. And I think that's how motherhood is too. And so I think it really is just a constant juggling act of, you know, who needs me in this season the most? Um, are my kids doing well and are well adjusted and going to school? then I can, my business is demanding a little bit more out of me and I can put it toward there. But if, I mean, you know, this with, as being a mom, like if your kids need you and they're struggling or whatever, like you drop everything for that. Um, and so I think that it constantly is just a juggle. And I feel like with my kids and just for you at six and three, that things are starting to finally get to a place of stability when they're little toddlers, they're just so unstable. You don't ever know what the day's going to hold, really. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's going to be sick. You don't know who's not going to sleep. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's just so many unknowns with little kids at that age um, that it's really hard to plan your life around your business because you might have to cancel mm-hmm. um, or you might be too tired or it might just be too much on your plate or whatever. And so um, that's what I, that's been my biggest lesson is all of this stuff, especially with motherhood. Um, but I think in life in general, that seems so big at the time, like not sleeping through the night. Like this was just, I just thought that was my life. Like I couldn't even conceptualize there'd be a night where I'd sleep through the night. And I remember in the early days of Aiden, my oldest, like looking at other people and being like, you get to sleep through the night tonight. Like you get to go to bed, um, and being like so envious of that. Um, and now I know lots of other moms who have, little babies. And I feel honestly kind of removed from that, which is kind of a bittersweet thing. Um, so that's definitely been a huge learning lesson for myself is that everything kind of comes to an end at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're even just enjoying that your kids having independence. I know that was like a big thing for me. I was like, yeah. even like little things it's like putting on his shoes I'm like oh my god you can put on your shoes now and it's like all those like Mm -hmm. little million steps that like finally when they get it I'm like oh my god this is amazing because it's like all those little things to even get out the door and all of the things that you have to pack in your backpack or your bag to get out the door is like it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. when they're young so Mm -hmm. totally I know like taking a shower you could like take a shower in the day yeah without having to worry that your kids are going to do something crazy exactly yeah exactly exactly what was the transition like from one to two for you so it was I don't even know it was um it was interesting I Again, it was a lot of my own expectations with it. Like, I just didn't even think about it, really. Like, I was pregnant with Luke, and I thought I would just have him. And I remember newborn being 
you know, when we didn't sleep, but I remember, you know, you just, you nurse the baby all day and you hold him and then you kind of get on with it. So I think that I just didn't even like think about how it would work. Like with me going back to work at 10 days postpartum, I just like assumed that it'd be fine. I just would like, you know, put him on the table or my receptionist would hold him and it would be okay. Until I got to a point, like probably four months after he was born, we decided actually to move to, we put our house on the market. We only moved five, five minutes away. So it was close, but, um, so it was a big undertaking to move with two small children and I wasn't sleeping. I was stressed out all the time about my business still. And, um, so I had a lot of anxiety. It took me a long time to actually get over that. And I, you know, talked to my doctor and we both agreed that actually it was lack of sleep that was causing it. It wasn't even like hormonally, it wasn't necessarily diagnosable as postpartum anxiety in its typical form. It was literally that I was so sleep deprived. And so I think that, that part was really hard. Um, but again, it was my own undertaking. It was my own mindset toward things. And that's why I'm so passionate truly about helping postpartum women now manage those types of things. Um, because I think as women, a lot of us need permission. We need permission to stop. We need permission to say, it's okay. You don't have to do everything here. Um, and we need people to tell us it's going to be okay. We need people to ask us how we're doing and how we're feeling um, on a true level, not just a superficial one. And so I think, you know, I just didn't, I, I just personally didn't manage it well. And I know that now, and I am almost a little embarrassed to admit that even because I know everything, you know, to do. I had an education in that. I studied postpartum before I had already had a previous child. Like I knew what to do and I just didn't do it. Um, which contributed to a lot of, extreme fatigue and extreme anxiety. So, um, I took a little, I think after we moved, so when my youngest was around a year, um, kind of transitioning into that year, things started to get a whole lot better for me. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you give to the mom that's struggling with that period? I would honestly say to just let things go. And I hate, I hate this saying actually, because I want women to thrive and I don't want anyone to just be surviving and making it through. Cause that's kind of how I felt like I was going. Um, and so I don't mean it in the sense of like, you know, you're slowly dying inside, but I truly mean like if you have to give the oldest child some extra TV time or some maybe non opportune foods to keep him occupied at this time, do that. If you have to let the house go for a day or two, do that. If you have to ask for help, please ask for help. Like your neighbors, your, you know, in-laws pay for help, whatever you need to do, because truly the faster that you take care of yourself in your postpartum period and the more that you recover in the really early days, that's going to set you up for months down the road, which is what I didn't do. I was actually doing okay months down the road, taking care of myself. It was in the early days that I burnt the candle at both ends that contributed to that. And so I truly do think like, enjoy your baby, but let people know how you're feeling, you know, ask for help. Um, let things go that you, you don't need to necessarily get done. Um, because I just think that the, and I don't know if it's like that in Canada, but it is here. I feel like there's not a great community sense here. I feel like a lot of women are silently struggling. I think that there's not a lot of people asking for help. Um, I think that there's this sense that we need to be doing it all. Like we need to be cooking and cleaning and taking care of babies and kids at the same time and look presentable and getting our baby pre-baby body back 
Um, and I just think that there's a lot of these societal expectations here, at least, that are really, really unfair to women. Um, and I think, you know, there's just a lot of judgment. And, and I always have this conversation with people that no new mom is not trying her best. Every new mom is trying their very best to do, to do what they have to do with the resources that they have. Um, and so I think just remembering that you're doing the best that you can and giving yourself so much grace is such a good key to postpartum living. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that's totally what it's like here too. I think too. You would. Yeah, even I fear too that like, I don't even, (laughs) I don't know how to describe it, but it's like the Instagram famous moms and I'm like, that always looks so (laughs) fucking perfect and their house is so perfect. I'm like, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. just a train, like in comparison, I'm like, I'm a train wreck and I'm a hot mess and I'm totally okay with it because I know for my own happiness and sanity we need to have a slightly messy house and we need to get dirty and I am okay with the laundry piling up and like that's just one of those things that I've just had to I've just had to let go and like our kids all they're gonna remember is how we treat them and how we love them they do not give a shit about (laughs) anything else so I think it's it's such a waste to drive ourselves crazy and be stuck in this place of feeling as though other moms like I don't know if it's like this in the states but here it can be so judgy from other moms about like so judgy yeah do you use disposable diapers or cloth diapers Mm -hmm. (laughs) do you use this type of bottle Mm -hmm. or that type of bottle and I think we can get so caught up in like we're already not 100% sure how to be a mom and we're just trying the absolute best that we can um, with our kids so I think we need Mm -hmm. to I don't know. We need more moms that reach out and connect in that way to just say, hey, I don't have it all put together. I'm just totally guessing my way through this motherhood thing. And that is okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I Yes, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think now that I'm slightly removed from at least the newborn baby um, era, like I, I have patients in my office and online. I do one on ones online. Um, but women coming to me every day that have had babies or have little um, infants and they're crying because they just are so overwhelmed and they don't know what to do. And I like kind of going back to that permission thing, like women just need permission to know it's okay. Like you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to cloth diaper if you don't want to. You don't have to breastfeed 100% if you don't want to. I am a huge proponent of breastfeeding. I breastfed my kids to two years old. But now being slightly removed from the situation, I also can see that was a really big stress for me of like putting this massive amount of pressure that you know you can absolutely not have any formula at any expense. I couldn't pump at all. It was like a ridiculous train wreck with it. And I did it. But I think there would have been nights that, you know, if I let my husband give my son a little bit of formula and I slept for four extra hours, that would have made the entire world, my world, much happier. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm not super, I really come from a place now of you're doing the best that you can. Here's the tools. Here's the research that we know. But you have to do what literally works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also kind of going back to the kids thing, like, kids need a mentally healthy mom. They need a mom that's not, 
irritable and edgy and anxious all the time because that leads to their own anxiety too. Um, and so whatever we can do to, to get the edge off of that is definitely worth doing in my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Allie. Well, where can people find you online if they want to check you out on social media or on your website? Yeah. So um, my website is AllieDameron.com. And on Instagram, I am same thing at Allie Dameron. I also have my own podcast called The Allie Dameron Show. Um, and those are pretty much my three big places. Hmm. Do you like podcasting? I do love podcasting. It's so much fun. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. uh, yeah, I feel like it's one of those parts of my job that although I'm, it's like sharing the information with everybody and I love like that part Mm -hmm. of it. I also find that I really get so much energy from the conversations that I feel like it not only serves myself, but is also able to serve other people. Mm -hmm. I know. I like it too. I I feel the same way. And I think it's so nice and you can just, you know, speak to someone like yourself and just have really honest, open, raw conversations and be vulnerable. And um, I think that is the most helpful thing, especially for moms, like our conversation. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing so much valuable information and for connecting. It was wonderful to speak with you, Allie. Now we end every episode of the podcast in the same way. And that is asking you, how would you like to be remembered? So I would like to be remembered for teaching women how to live their healthiest life while giving them hope to live their purpose. Mm, I love it. Did you know that I was going to ask you that? No. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, all the best with your business and all the best with your boys. And I'm sure I will catch you online in some capacity. I find that you cross paths with people more often than uh, even though it's a big online space, you kind of cross paths with people often. So yeah, that's amazing. Well, congrats on your pregnancy and good luck with your postpartum also. All right. Much appreciated, hon. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining me, guys. Hope that you found lots of value from the information that Allie shared in relation to sleep and hormones. Now, these two areas are something that a lot of people can really struggle with. And Allie has an amazing resource that she's put together for you if you want to learn more, and it's totally free. So she's put together a sleep starter guide, and you can get this totally for free by checking out the link that's in the show notes. So if you head on over to that link and you check it out you're going to get a sleep starter guide totally free get some tips that you can use right away and Allie just has really fantastic stuff on her website too so check out those show notes go give Allie a follow and as always guys thanks for joining me I love that I get to hang out with you guys on Thursday I hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode and we'll catch you next time bye for now guys I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives but I need your help I can't do it alone I want you to take this episode share it with just one person maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a co-worker just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode that is how we create impact that is how we get this movement going that's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, 
head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.